0: Welcome to Important, Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert-Kennedy. This is the podcast where we dive into a specific topic or question affecting everyone on the planet, this planet right now, or in the next 10 years or so. Uh, If it can kill all of us or turn us into something super cool and futuristic, like, I guess, controversially, Starship Troopers, uh, we are in. Our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, uh, astronauts, even a reverend, and we work together towards action steps our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar.
1: Why are Starship Troopers controversial?
0: It's a whole thing. Well, that's a fun talk question, Brian.
1: Got it. Hey, this is your friendly reminder that you can send questions, thoughts, feedback, and more to us on Twitter at important not imp or email us at fun at important not dot com. You can also join thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter important, not important.com.
0: You can also leave us a voice message, uh, at the link in your show notes. Those are super fun and we'll include you in the show. Um, most of them are too weird that we get, uh, mm-hmm. we get plenty of them, uh, but appropriate ones, which honestly is saying something. If you've, li- if you've listened to fun talk appropriate ones, uh, we will, we will include those.
1: Will we? Cause we haven't yet.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. They're all too weird, which that's Got what it. I mean. Like the bar is low. Uh, anyways, hey, this week, uh, Brian, we're, we're getting back into childhood cancer because fuck that man. And this week we're getting technical. We're talking really nerdy about beating childhood cancer with some very, uh, unusual and exciting and tiny and glittery, at least to us, resources.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. Very exciting. Very, uh, scientific-y talk, but it was very cool. Why
0: don't you tell them who stopped by, uh, Mr. Brian's neighborhood today?
1: Oh, sure. Our guests were are doctors Jacqueline Taroni and Genevieve Kendall.
0: Mm -hmm. They came on the podcast after listening to previous ones, which is Mm -hmm. always a good test. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they work with uh, probably our favorite place on the planet, Alex's Lemonade Stand, uh, to just beat the shit out of childhood cancer. And I admire and respect, and I'm so thankful for these ladies. And they were really fun to talk to.
1: It was a good conversation. It was really good
0: So let's not keep it going We're already at three minutes for this intro Jesus oh. All right, let's go talk to uh, doctors Jacqueline Taroni and uh, Genevieve Kendall Our guests today are Dr. Jacqueline Taroni and Dr. Genevieve Kendall And together we're going to ask uh, Brian, can zebrafish cure childhood cancer? Uh, Dr. Taroni
1: and Dr. Kendall, welcome
2: Thanks for having us yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll
1: I see. think you're going to be happy all the way up until we say goodbye. All right. Uh, honestly, <laughs> thank you very much. And if we could just get started by uh, uh, each of you just sort of letting us um, know who you are and, and what you do.
2: So I'm Genevieve Kendall, and I'm a postdoctoral scholar at UT Southwestern Medical Center. And I study a pediatric muscle cancer. And I utilize uh, zebrafish models in order to understand how these cancers develop and then implement these models to better identify new therapies that we can use in the clinic.
0: That's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Jacqueline, go ahead. Try to match that.
3: Ooh, tough. Uh, I am Jacqueline Taroni. I am a principal data scientist at the Childhood Cancer Data Lab, uh, which is an initiative of Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation. And my job is to understand how folks like Genevieve uh, and other childhood cancer researchers uh, can use data to answer the really important questions in the childhood cancer field. Awesome,
0: I love it. Um, this is one of those conver- some of our conversations are more ethical, some of them are more morality based, some of them are topics that people generally know about, like why is the ocean cold? Um, and then sometimes there's really technical ones like this, and I I, I like to imagine like where. If someone said, Brian and Quinn, figure out how zebra fish relate to cancer, like where we would start. Literally, like what is step one? And I cannot yep. even imagine how that how that would begin. So this is gonna be educational for all of
1: us. Um All right. So uh Quinn is gonna um Go, go over some context that he's—I don't know where he's got this information—but uh, he, he'll talk to you, guy on the street, and then uh, the you street. can, of course, uh, correct him at. I mean, please correct him as much as possible. It makes me very happy. Uh, and then after uh, some context uh, for our question today, um, we'll get into some some action-oriented questions uh, that get to the heart of why we should all uh, care about it and, and what we can all do uh, do to to help support you, you ladies.
2: Sound good? Sounds good. Sounds great.
0: To be clear, like listeners, it's we've talked about this before. It's kids' cancer. Like if you don't care yeah, about it, be, you're a monster. Right. It's just, just yeah, it should be pretty obvious. Anyways, um, listen, before we get into that, both of you, we we do like to start with one important question to set the tone here. Instead of saying, "Tell us your entire life story," uh, if you could each answer, uh, "Why are you vital to the survival of the species?" That would be great. <laughs>
2: Okay. No, that's a a great question. So I was, I was thinking about this question because I've obviously listened Mm -hmm. to your previous podcast and that really, to me, uh, I do what I do um, because I'm passionate about it and I'm trying to make this world a better place um, and to help kids. And I think even more importantly than that, I'm really dedicated to training the next generation of people that will take up this task and continue this work and continue to you know spread knowledge and you know give back and so I think that's really what we need.
3: I love that.
0: Pass, paid forward, pass it on.
2: I would
3: say I'm not. I think um, <laughs> folks like Genevieve, who are uh, real childhood cancer experts uh, out there training folks, I would say are probably more important uh, than I am. But I'll echo a lot of what Genevieve said, which is, I think as scientists, we want to be in a spot where the folks who come behind us have better resources, tools, training to answer those really important questions. And I think in my position, that's
2: really important to me and uh, something I think about a lot. Jackie really elevates what I'm able to do, though. Um, And she's incredibly thoughtful in helping design experiments, call big data, and make the biggest impact that we can make for trying to identify cures for childhood cancer. So I think (laughs) you're being humble, Jackie. Oh, thank you. (laughs)
0: Uh, Awesome. I love it. So uh, on that note, both of your life work, uh, which sounds like it's fairly complementary to each other, which is awesome, uh, involves doing... I- immense and and just incredibly impactful good for a group of young, fragile, just getting started humans, uh, who who didn't des- they haven't been smoking their whole life. You know they they didn't deserve these illnesses that they have. You are you are truly giving yourself to something greater than you, um, and, and thankfully, so many of our conversations are with folks. Uh, like the both of you, there there is a lot of good in the world, and and we try to expose that and give a voice to as much as we can. Uh, for for each of you, is there a is there a specific relationship that you can point to that was a catalyst to get you to where you are today to do what you do?
2: So I had a really um, influential biology teacher in high school, and ever since I took this class in ninth grade, I knew I wanted to be a scientist. And it was a bit of a road to get to um, pediatric disease. I started doing research trying to understand how South American bats were related to each other at the genetic level. And after that, I realized I wanted to, to help kids. And so ever since then I've been trying to understand, you know how we can identify new therapies for pediatric muscle disease. And so it's been incredibly rewarding, um, because I do get to interact with these kids that have cancer in their families through Alex's lemonade stand and through being next to a children's hospital and try and show them what I'm doing um, and try to make the biggest impact possible. And so that's really rewarding and motivates me to even work harder.
1: My, my ninth grade biology, biology teacher was Mrs. Thompson and like, bless her heart, she did not make you want to care about science.
3: Oh, no. <laughs> no. That's too bad. You could have been on a different path. Then. Yeah, I
1: think so. I think so. You could
3: have been studying
1: bats. <laughs> <Right>. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. That's awesome. That's really
3: awesome. Uh, so for me, I think I got the research bug probably in college. I had uh, a wonderful professor named Dr. Bean.
0: Uh, amazing.
3: Who, yeah. Who who uh, took me in uh, when I was a junior in college and I really got the bug. Um, I feel like my upper level biology courses, I was always so struck by what we didn't know. And that led me to go to graduate school. And interestingly enough, I thought I would be like an immunologist. And I, when we go to Graduate school in the biomedical sciences, we often do these rotations where we spend like a two to three month stint in uh, different laboratories. And the one that I started off in was more computationally focused. And I really liked that. And I ended up, I landed in a lab that worked on uh, a rare systemic autoimmune disease. And a lot of that work was basically asking the question, which is about, you know, if I'm working on a rare disease. And I want to use techniques uh, like big data that, you know, require a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. How can I leverage other types of data or data measuring things other than what I'm directly studying um, to to learn about the disease that I'm interested in? And that is how I see a lot of what we do at the uh, Childhood Cancer Data Lab, as well as thinking about... Uh, all this investment that's been made in different kinds of uh, contexts, looking at cell lines, looking at zebrafish, how does that come together to teach us about childhood cancer? And that is very exciting to me to put that data to work.
0: Do you think the same opportunities uh, to to do that, and we'll get more into this, uh, would have been available ten years ago before these advances in 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 algorithms and uh, and data compilation and organization?
3: I don't think so. So the kind of data we work on, it's called gene expression data or transcriptomic data. Mm -hmm. Luckily, there's always been a very strong culture of data sharing in that particular realm. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you look at kind of the expansion, the number of assays that become publicly available over time, as sequencing, a particular kind of technology became more ubiquitous, you kind of see it take off like a rocket in like 2008. Mm So uh, it's relatively young in the scheme of things. This explosion of available
0: assays—that's awesome. Well, I'm I'm glad you're right place at the right time. Obviously, a whole lot of people are are, are benefiting from that. Um, so uh, again, just some some quick context here. Let me blow through this, this is uh, mostly catching people up who who maybe listened to our previous episode with Jay or or did not. So we first uh, dug into pediatric cancer uh back in in episode 48 uh titled why the hell does kids cancer even exist and what can we do about it uh with and that was with Jay Scott uh now a good buddy of mine and the co-executive director of the Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation uh which was started uh with her very own little lemonade stand by his late daughter Alex um if you have not listened to that conversation uh it is uh fairly timeless as our best episodes are and i promise um, it will hopefully inspire you and and probably make tears explode from your face uh, as it did mine, all over my keyboard. But during that episode, we focused a lot on the and and just so you guys understand, you know, we'll we'll have twelve different conversations about the ocean. For example, from did Fukushima dump uh, radioactivity into it to you know uh, how how are the uh, how are the jet streams changing the ocean to to uh, funding to to. To food stocks uh, off the coast, so that people really get a fuller context of what's going on, because all these things are connected. Um, and in uh, when it comes to pediatric cancer, in that episode, we talked a lot about sort of the the, the macros. You know, we talked about how uh, cancer is the number one cause of death by disease for kids under nineteen. Yet, despite that, uh, childhood cancer research receives just four percent of funding from the National Cancer Institute. Um, and for reference, cancer overall is responsible uh, from from what I gather, about 29% of American deaths. We discussed how childhood cancer is not just one disease. Uh, There's about 12 major types and over 100 subtypes. Like anything with cancer, when people say we're going to find the cure for cancer, that's not how it works. Shit's very complicated. Um, And we talked about how there are some cancers kids are more likely to get and the progress we've made against them uh, in research, treatments, uh, and recovery, and living with it. We talked about uh, Alex and her life, and her diagnosis, and her treatment, and her passing, and what all of that meant uh, for Jay and his amazing wife Liz, and and how that changed things for them, um, obviously in a number of ways. Um, And of course, we talked about the enormous impact um, that Alex's lemonade stand has had in the fight against pediatric cancers. Um, I'm a big supporter in a number of ways. Uh, I know Brian is, and and listeners, you should be too. Uh, but today we're going to get into some nitty-gritty science. It's going to be fun because Alex has started something new recently, and we've talked about it a little bit called the Childhood Cancer Data Lab, or CCDL, if you're in the know. And it is already revolutionizing the way that childhood cancers are researched. So uh, on that note, let's let's dig in a little bit to uh, our completely clickbait title of Can Zebrafish Cure Childhood <laughs> yeah, Cancer? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Jacqueline, can, can you uh, f- kind of finish getting us up to speed, I guess? Tell me what CCDL is and why it exists.
3: Sure. So the CCDL was started in August of 2017. And we are a team of user experience designers, engineers, and scientists. And our goal, in essence, is to put big data in the hands of childhood cancer researchers who are poised to make the next big discovery. So, there are several parts of that. Um, Essentially, there's barriers sometimes to using these data to make discoveries. That can be in access, it can be in knowledge. So, uh, part of our mission is software, building tools to make these data easy to use. Part of that is training. So Genevieve is one of our first training participants, and we're very grateful uh, to have her come out and give us feedback on that. Um, And part of it is scientific workflows. Um, So bringing things in from different fields using our expertise and uh, putting that to work for childhood cancer research.
0: That's awesome. Where did uh? And I feel like I've asked Jay this question, and I've either either he avoided it, uh, as he does with most of my text messages, or uh, <laughs> I've forgotten. He does too. Oh My God, I do the same thing to you. This is not that conversation, right. Brian. We're not doing this right now. Uh, how did uh CCDL come come about? Where where uh did the it was there another similar model and another vertical that in, that inspired it? Uh, was it just clear that something like this needed to exist for you guys?
3: Yeah, so I have to definitely give props to Jay and Liz for, Jay describes it as just in in, in their gut. They felt like this was a missing piece in the field. Um, but this is definitely kind of first of its kind stuff. Uh, there's no other informatics lab
2: run by a funder devoted to childhood cancer, as far as I know.
0: That is super rad. That and is so, very cool. And so
2: one of the issues that CCDL is addressing is with all of these new sequencing technologies, everybody's potentially using a different platform, a different pipeline, and then they're making the data publicly accessible, but it's all in different formats. And then for people like me, it's difficult to harmonize that kind of data. And so the CCDL um, provides this expertise that I can draw on in order to to identify data that's important to me and integrate and it and then leverage it for my own work.
1: Got it. That's very helpful. Seems crazy that it didn't exist before, you know?
2: It's just a lot of people working in silos, essentially, and doing whatever experimental protocols, you know, work best for them in their hands. And there's no standardized technique, I would say. Um, and it, it, Jackie can speak more on that than I can, really. But <laughs> So that's definitely true. It has a bit to do, I think
3: the CCDL model is powerful because it's happening outside of, to a certain extent, the way data is typically generated. And what I mean by that is it's an independent party run by a funder. So I am not an assistant professor, I'm not in academia per se. And I think. What we're interested in is what's, we have the the room to really focus on the cause in ways that some folks in academia don't always have the same opportunities because our incentive structure is a little different, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. So think... it it's, we have the space to focus on mm-hmm. what doesn't work b- best for us, our particular experiment. We have the space to kind of look more broadly and bring it all together. Because that is how we are judged as successful. Sure, that makes yeah. sense. I don't want to rag on academics. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't mean it no, like that I mean, at all.
0: I think most people know that like academia is is a is a in- incredible uh, pursuit and an invaluable resource and a just labyrinth nightmare of red tape and 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 things like that. Um, uh, not even including a case like this. Just, I mean, getting into tenure or anything like that. It's it's it's
3: crazy out there, um, and, and it's really hard. Also, it's yeah. it's hard to to do what we do requires a lot of resource and a lot of expertise uh, in things like software engineering that uh, folks don't always have the access two resources to do that stuff.
2: Right. I mean, the CCDL is a really unique model. I I don't know of any other similar model where they do have the resources and expertise in the same place to tackle this problem.
0: It's almost like the old Bell Labs example, exactly um, you know, where it's, it's a, I mean, there was a bunch of white guys in that, in that period, uh, which they were great, but I'm glad we're moving beyond that. But, you know, having those resources in the same building makes, makes a big difference. And obviously it's 2019, so we don't need to be in the same building anymore. But I, I imagine in academia, I mean, you probably have those resources uh, in the next building, but, but the, the effort to integrate with them in any way is probably just infinitely more complicated. Um, for a number of reasons, but also just like you said, I mean, you guys are are judged and measured uh differently, very differently. That's true. Yeah.
1: Um, Dr. Kendall, when we uh first got connected, you had you responded that you would like to discuss uh quote Genevieve's use of zebrafish genetic models to study pediatric sarcomas and the high dimensional assays we focus on in the CCDL uh, as part of her experimental toolkit. So get, let's get into that. Like to the most very basic level, like I am a child. Uh, peanut butter and jelly, if you know what I'm talking about.
2: Sure. Um. So, pediatric cancer is usually, you know, genetically based, and there are very few mutations in genes that cause these cancers. Um, and so, the specific cancer that I study is a cancer of the muscle, and it's called rhabdomyosarcoma, and it's caused when two genes fuse together and form this like aberrant gain-of-function protein that acts in the cell to turn off and on hundreds, if not thousands, of genes inappropriately. And so we've identified this gene as the cause of this muscle cancer now 20 years ago, um, but we have no drugs that target it directly. And so this is really frustrating to me um, and how I got into this field. And so what I do is I take the human form of the cancer gene, and I actually use um, genetics to integrate it into the zebrafish genome.
0: So and just s- to dial that way back for both me and, as I like to blame them, our listeners who are texting and driving down the 405 right now, um, what why the zebrafish, I need a little more context sure. on that, trying to understand. The things so, that are going through my head are probably very different from how you're about to describe them.
2: No. So zebrafish, although they look very different at the genetic level, they're very similar to us. So over 70% of their genome is conserved with the human genome or is similar to it. And over 80% of human disease-causing genes um, a similar zebrafish genes. So they're very amenable to understanding human disease and these, you know, developmental pathways that take us from a single cell all the way up to an entire organism are very similar. And so they have a lot of experimental advantages that you don't find in other model systems. And one of them is that you can use them for like large scale drug studies. And so, uh, Baby fish um, can develop in one day, um, which is really fast. And you can actually put hundreds of fish like in a plastic dish that's the size of your hand and screen 100 compounds at a time for activity in the fish. And I w- literally got into fish because I was sitting um, in the audience at a muscle conference and these fish like couldn't move because it had a mutation in its muscles. And they added a drug to the water and the fish could suddenly move again. And after that, I thought Whoa. I absolutely need how to learn what how to fuck? work in this system. And, and that's how I got into it in the first place. And I was shocked to learn that when we insert these human cancer genes into the zebrafish genome, they actually get cancer that looks exactly like the human disease. Um, When you look at the structure of the tumor cells themselves, or um, when you look transcriptionally or at all of the gene expression changes, um, which is what I do in collaboration with like Jacqueline and the CCDL. And so they're um, big friends of fish, as I call them, because they have really moved forward all of their software to integrate maybe different types of model systems. And zebrafish are relatively new to cancer research, so I really appreciate uh, their dedication uh, to inc- being inclusive.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, it's an honor to be friends of fish.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm. I uh, that's oh that's my god, so that's wild. I I just I think we posted on our Instagram recently. There's there's a quote that's out there, and I can't remember who it is. It might have been like Isaac Asimov that said something about uh, you know, so often science is not about eureka, it's about uh, the greatest discoveries are when someone says, that's funny. And it feels like, uh, I, I mean, who, who was like looking for zebrafish to ha- to share like 70% of our uh, genome? Or was it just like, what the, like, how do it you stumble a, on that? What's your reaction to that?
2: Exactly. <laughs> and so I mean, the field itself using zebrafish is relatively new. It was a tropical fish enthusiast that started this in the late 80s. Uh, there are two different groups that were using fish in Europe and the United States to understand Like developmental processes, just uh, really basic biology of how the cells move um, during when an embryo is being formed, and then really in the early two thousands is when they started being implemented to understand human cancers, and so we're really at the the forefront still of implementing these models uh, to understand you know childhood cancer, and we've we've done a lot in terms of I study muscle cancer, there's leukemia models. Models, neuroblastoma models, but I think there's still a lot of work to do.
1: Wow, zebra fish—that's amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> how does your research uh, here fit into just the overall uh, structure and and goals of um, of the childhood cancer data lab?
2: Sure. So the childhood cancer data lab has been integral. Really, on a number of levels for me. Um, like Jack, he mentioned I took their. I guess was that the inaugural training pilot,
3: yes, the pilot, the pilot, <laughs> the, pilot.
2: <laughs> the pilot training workshop, uh, and it was, it was really incredible. It was essentially like data boot camp. Wow! And so I went there for a few days, and they were trying to make us, you know, have uh, knowledge of how to get started on doing these analyses ourselves. And they document all of their protocols and make them publicly available. So even if you're not at the workshop, you have like step-by-step instructions on how to implement these different types of sophisticated uh, analyses. And so that was huge. And then they're also really cool people to work with and have great ideas. Um, And so that's important for moving your work forward. And then the other thing that they've helped me with is envisioning how the fish can contribute to pediatric cancer by looking at the transcriptome of the tumors that are generated and how closely they recapitulate the human disease. And by transcriptome, I mean the genes that are turned on and off by this human cancer gene that's in the zebrafish genome.
0: Wow. So what was your experience with data prior to this relationship with CCDL? Was it a big part of your work?
2: It, so typically, I've collaborated. Um, so I'm a big believer in if I'm not an expert, I'd find the expert um, in order to move things forward quickly. Um, but it's been integral for to have a fundamental understanding of what needs to be done, the time required in order to do this. And it gave me a framework to build on. And now that I have these articulated protocols online, I can really go back and ask them, at specific stages, if I get stuck, how to move forward. And so I think it provided a good baseline for me to move forward from.
0: Fascinating. So where have you... So that's an example of sort of how your work integrates with CCDL. CCDL, And I know it's still fairly new, but are are there examples of places where you two have seen CCDL work in in action successfully, as you had hoped? Is there... uh, so Genevieve, are there place other examples that you've learned from uh, either that you m- hope to or anticipated or were surprised by and Jacqueline where I guess where have you seen some of your most delightful successes from the system?
2: Well, I was so excited about taking this uh, course that I actually sent my technician and my boss <laughs> my <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to and he went to the next course and it's really it's kind of having a spidering effect where once you train one person, they'll train the next person. And so the impact of this is is only growing. Um, And so it's not even by taking the course directly, but by coming into contact with someone that knows how to do these types of analyses.
3: Yeah. So I would say um, it's, our training effort is less than a year old, or we're coming up on one year since uh, Genevieve participated in the the pilot. And um, it's wonderful because I always like to say that no one cares about your experiment more than you. Mm. So, um, and I think, yeah, we, we spend all this time studying and nobody thinks about our project or our experiments more than we do. So to have folks who don't, necessarily uh, analyze the data themselves yet, to have them come get a little more familiar. Uh, You know, they're pretty short, so they, you know, folks don't walk out knowing how to do everything, but to give them a taste so they feel more comfortable kind of learning on their own and also more comfortable having a conversation, like Genevieve was saying, with, you know, folks who do work on their data with them.
0: Hey guys, it's Quinn. If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you might be, and you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. (laughs) So, participating with the Dell is—is it—is it sort of a formal partnership or application process? Is it a tool that's accessible all of the time that somebody can log into in the middle of the night uh, when they're feeding their zebrafish? How how does that? How do you recruit new members to the Avengers?
3: So we do have a tool that you can access in the middle of the night uh, when you're feeding your zebrafish, cool. which <laughs> is called uh, Refine.Bio. <laughs> I don't know how often. The feeding of the zebrafish in the middle of the night happens. Um, it doesn't you have,
2: happen.
0: You're <laughs> no, that's just not met real. <laughs> Brian. You have no idea.
2: During the day, three times, <laughs> but not at night.
3: Perfect. Well, it depends on your What like, like a model
0: they're system. Like, they're like gremlins, basically.
3: Right. What a model well. system. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, there's a tool called refine.bio, um, and that is the URL. So, refine, R E F I N E dot bio B I O. Perfect. Um, so, that, uh is a collection of data that's been made publicly available um, through researchers uploading it um, to government-run repositories. So what we do with that is we get that data from these government-run repositories, and then we uniformly process it. So what we mean by that is we've selected certain pipelines um, that hopefully have pretty general use that then act on that data and Uh, we pull from three separate places. We have it kind of come under one roof, so it's discoverable all in one place. And the idea is that if you know exactly what was done to that data, you can be more comfortable and save time getting the data from us because we're going to tell you what version of the software we used. And we're going to tell you why we did that. So the idea being... Uh, if you want to kind of quickly check something, get preliminary data for your next grant, that we've done the the kind of intensive work of picking a pipeline and also the actual time it takes to process those samples, computational time. And then uh, you can go to Refined.io, snag the experiment, and then kind of see if there's any signal, if it supports your hypothesis, if it validates something that you found in your own data set, for instance.
1: That's super, Brian. You take a note. I, I already went to Refine.bio and type in zebrafish. There's 638 results. I mean, I'm gonna. My day is. It's
3: exciting. My day is full. <laughs> Download them. So all. So cool. <laughs> Just add them to that part. Right. <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> what have been uh, uh, the most significant takeaways uh, from from CCDL so far? Um, do we have you know? Do we do we have practical applications yet? Have there been like cool, unexpected benefits or wins so far from either of your perspectives?
3: It's been a surprise to me, and perhaps it shouldn't have been, <laughs> is the enthusiasm for for these training workshops that we're yeah. putting on. Um, people, you know, wanting to learn this stuff. The last couple times, I believe, we've been oversubscribed. Wow. Uh, nice. Yeah. So I think that surprised me. And I, do, I, I think I'm wrong. Like, I shouldn't <laughs> have. Um, <laughs> but that, that was n- not something I was expecting going in. Um, but it,
0: well, uh, yeah, it, uh, uh, sketch this out for me. What does a training session look like? Uh, how long is it? Where is it? Are we talking about a small classroom? Are we talking about an auditorium? Uh, are we talking about a lab? How many people? Where do they come from? How does yeah. so many questions? Et cetera, et cetera.
3: So, uh, we're doing four this year, they're three days long, and um, we're doing four different places. So, we, uh, went to uh, Houston, which is where Genevieve's boss and technician joined us. Uh, We just got back from Chicago a few weeks ago. We're going to go to the Bay Area in September and then in Philadelphia in October. Um, So those are three days long. And the way this works is the first two days are designed to be instruction. So uh, we go through some of the technologies that we work on at the CCDL and are going to be are important for childhood cancer research. Um, One of which is called RNA seq, and uh, now a newer technology called single cell RNA seq. And uh, we show folks how to how to process and analyze that data, and kind of give them a, a starting point, a set of tools. And then, on the last day, that's designed for us to kind of be in the room, unstructured time, work on your own data, or practice otherwise
2: practice skills that you've learned in the first two days. That's what I do that. with my six year old. It's pretty intense. You bring your own data. and so um there's practice uh, they have practice data that we go through together, and then on you know day two, they say, "Go for it." And on day three, you have to do a presentation to this group. I think it's maybe 10 to 15 people. Jackie, is that about right?
3: Yeah. So we are yes, has been around 15 people, up to 20. Because you think.
0: said you're oversubscribed, right? Packing the yeah. place in.
2: It's probably more than when I was there for the pilot. Yes, it is. It um, is more. <laughs> pro- but we got a we got a lot of attention from really smart people like Jackie. Um, and so at the end of the day, you need to have been successful enough to have analyzed your data in order to present it to the group, um, and talk about, you know, it in an intelligent way, what you've done. And I would say, Jack, you also teach good practices on how to code too, which is important. I joke that
3: I'm borderline militant about that kind of stuff. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) You know, like I, I need to be able to read it to find the books. I'm a big believer in that. It's probably a bit much. Um, I thought it was great.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we can have an offline discussion about that. That's, that's basically how I treat our workplace. And Brian really just Love loves it. Love it. <laughs> that's really cool. So are... Now, I know Alex's funds a mm. lot of research. Um, are these folks that are showing up... Are, do they already have relationships with Alex's? Are these mostly incoming calls? Are they outgoing calls? H- how are you sourcing these, these uh, geniuses?
3: So I think... Uh... I don't have the exact breakdown, but quite a few investigators do already have some kind of relationship with Alex's. But I do believe there are some folks that, you know, are not funded by them or are not in Alex's funded labs. Uh, But for the most part, yeah, uh, quite a few of them have some experience with Alex's already.
0: Got it. And it's probably an interesting sourcing ground to find new folks as well, on the other hand, that Alex's might be a partnership with.
3: Yeah, it could be. I think it definitely, if you are not already familiar with our organization, coming to our training will make you familiar, um, for (laughs) sure. (laughs) Yes. We we say where we're from, uh, because that's polite and a normal (laughs) thing to do when you're meeting people. (laughs) (laughs) So... Yeah, so for the most part, I think people might be more inclined to either seek maybe collaborations with us at the CCDL in the future if they get Mm -hmm. to know us. Genevieve, you can stop me if I'm wrong. Maybe you're...
2: (laughs) But... No, are you kidding? Uh, I would love to collaborate.
3: Yeah. (laughs) We're We're going to set it up right now on this call. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's happening. Are
0: most of the... I love the word investigators. Are they U.S.-based? Are they international? What's the breakdown there?
3: So, I think because we've been pulling uh, or at least contacting folks that are in kind of our sphere already, that mm-hmm. is mostly US based folks, because uh, that is traditionally how Alex's has funded investigators.
0: Gotcha. So, let's talk about the hard stuff. Where are you both? And I realize, again, you don't do the same thing, but you're, you're, your jobs do complement each other, uh, both theoretically and and practically. Where are you running into obstacles? Uh, do you find uh, things running into the ground, or or have been difficult um, so far with CCDL or or Genevieve with your own research, uh, either in collaboration with CCDL or otherwise?
2: That's a um, great question. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'll go for it, Jackie.
3: Um. So I would say. What I didn't talk about, uh, something that also surprised me going back to a little bit what we were talking about earlier, uh, one of the projects that I finished up and published in the last year um, was a project uh, that essentially looked at training a machine learning model and extracting patterns from a large collection of essentially random human data and then applying it to rare diseases like childhood cancer, and what we saw is essentially that you were able to learn kind of more pathways or get a higher resolution look into the rare disease data, even though that model had never seen the rare disease data before. Um, So that's been really exciting and I think speaks to how something like Refine.bio that we're using could be really Useful, even though the the bulk of the data that's in that resource is not specifically looking at childhood cancer data
0: hmm.
3: so bringing kind of this new idea, this conceptual advance, if you will um that was a challenging project and really exciting project to to work on and yeah, I'm excited to do that maybe uh looking at zebrafish in a similar way and kind of transferring over what we learn to to human tumors. Um, But I think all of that is very new. Uh, And sometimes when things are new, they're hard. Um, But definitely an exciting place to be.
2: I think one of the biggest obstacles that we face is really understanding what genes are doing in a tumor. And so When you go to a clinic and you get clinical genomics done on your tumor, you get a report with different uh, mutations in cancer-causing genes. Um, But if these mutations are one base over and they don't have a described animal model, then you can't call them as being causative. So,
0: Could could you explain that for a basic human being?
2: Sure. So a lot of times we get these reports um, back from clinical sequencing efforts. And you just have gene lists, and it's there's you know a bin of genes that you found in exact mutations in other tumors, and these are causing the tumor probably. Mm -hmm. But then you have a bunch of passengers, and we have or in which is mutations that we have no idea what they're doing, Uh Um, but they're there. And so that's really why I've tried to integrate myself into um, a clinical. Community, because what I can do with the fish model is take these mutations that we're not sure what we're doing and then build zebrafish avatars of human disease and try and understand how the genomics of a human tumor will play out in an animal model. Interesting. And so it's a way to functionally validate what we're seeing from patient tumors, putting it into the fish, Seeing the presentation of the disease, potentially how it responds to different therapies or combinations of therapies. And then, you know, the goal for me would be one day moving that back into the patient after testing it in the fish.
0: How often does um, research or results not translate from the zebrafish over to, to humans?
2: How? Well, I mean, it happens in all models, right? Um, So for example, the sepsis model in mouse wasn't predictive of what was happening in humans. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's bound to happen in zebrafish as well. There was a really exciting paper recently where they um, took a specific mutation they found in a human um, with a lymphedema disorder, put it into the fish, screened drugs on the fish, found a drug and put that drug back into the single patient and improved their course of disease. And so it is it is possible to go from fish to human directly mm. in terms of drugs that you're finding that are potential therapeutic options. And so for drug development in cancer, there's, there's a lot of failure once mm-hmm. you reach clinical trials. And so to me, the best drug has activity in multiple model systems, and that's the burden of proof you should use to move forward.
0: Sure. I was just thinking... Someone created some 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 frustrated researcher who who I'll have to find this created basically a Twitter bot the in um, mice in mice and I just thought oh, it's, yes. <laughs> it's so great because we talk about that all the all the time and it's easy as I go through and try to find the biggest news and and most impactful news but also the most truthful and validated news you know and often we're linking straight to journals and things like that because you see these these headlines sometimes in, in, in respected publications because they'll go from you know, uh, a paper to a journal to getting picked up by a science blog to getting picked up to the New York times. And then it's a headline like Alzheimer's cured. And you're like, what the fuck? But <laughs> if you really dig into it, it's like Alzheimer's cured in mice. And, right. Right. and I, I, just yeah. it, like, again, the context is helpful. And that's why I was just curious. Um, because again, like we use mice because, because it is so close and it's really crazy. And the zebrafish, um, you know, uh, obviously, is proving similar, but but obviously, there are going to be times where it doesn't translate.
2: Absolutely, and so that's why it's really important for me um, to validate everything I find in patient tumor data. Um, and so, are these genes important for overall survival in patients? And that's my that's my stopgap, essentially. To do I move forward with this or not? Um, and so that's why I've really partnered with the CCDL to filter sure. the things that might be m- most important to move forward with. Because I don't care about fish disease. I care. <laughs> I, mean, look,
0: fish are I do care I because I want them fish. to be healthy. Sure, sure.
2: I want them to get cancers that recapitulate human disease.
0: <laughs> Brian, Brian, how many, how many zebra fish have you put in your Amazon card since this conversation started? Is that started? how you
1: buy fish? Come on. on
0: I mean,
2: Just Amazon. go to your local pet store. It's the same fish. It's like an inch long. I
1: saw it. It's beautiful with its little stripes. You know, I grew up with a lot of fish and fish tanks in my house, and I loved it. You could just sit there and stare at them. They're beautiful.
0: You could have been solving cancer this whole time. I was
1: like (laughs) 11.
0: I don't want to hear any excuses. Do you think these ladies made excuses for being 11? No, I'm sorry. Well, you know what? We'll take this off. We'll deal with this ourselves. I'm sorry, (laughs) sorry. doctors
1: and Quinn. Uh, (laughs) um, Do you you know... Uh, has 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 uh, CCDO inspired other organizations to to you know undertake s- similar endeavors, um, or, or if or if not, uh, you know where where could where could you imagine this model going into other areas of of cancer research or or just uh, medical research in general?
3: It's a really great question. Thank I you. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I'm not sure that uh, I've seen this exact yeah. model. You know, it's still early days. It's early days, but I think it it is useful to have an interdisciplinary team um, that you know has funding from a research organization to do this kind of work. I could see, of course, I'm biased, but <laughs> I could see this model being really powerful because there are some problems that are difficult, like require a lot of resources and that they won't necessarily get attention in, you know, academic institutions or industry or what already exists. So I could see it being, you know, something that crops up more. I think hopefully, uh, you know, we're very successful and people look at us and they're like, oh, we want to do that for our community. Um, So that, that would be great. Um, but I do think it's early days. i'm I'm sure. I'm, you know, I think uh, early days or not. We've processed a lot of samples, you know, we're getting our, our training program up and running, and uh, i'm I'm super excited about it. so I hope I hope we are uh, in a place where folks look at us and go, "Wow, I really want to do that for our community."
0: I don't know if you guys have this in Philadelphia, but Brian is quite good at, you know, do you guys have the guys who stand the street corners that like flip the arrow sign up and down and (laughs) dance with it to point people to come to their car wash? He could do that for your training sessions. But if if you if you guys don't have those, I can think of another analogy right, that's appropriate. Right. He he's he's like you talk about interdisciplinary. He's got a lot of skills.
3: Um, yeah, so I think there's maybe we're a little tight on sidewalk space.
0: <laughs> sure sure sure. Got for that got. Okay. move sure. okay. But
2: like, get him a clipboard mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, clipboard okay. model is quite popular. So typically, CCDL has um information booths at big cancer meetings. So I see a lot of opportunity there for sign flipping.
0: Sure. That's true.
2: We should fly you in. I mean, I'll I'll I'm in. I'm,
0: like, I was kidding ten seconds no, ago. Yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> this is dead fucking serious. We will come and wear t-shirts or crop tops, or I mean, whatever gets the job done.
3: Well, well, we should do some user testing and and see see yeah. what really works. Let us let us but be. Your We're not that here.
0: Jay also has to be involved in this in this. So uh, I'll make sure to rope him in without telling him. Good, good, yeah. good, good plan. plan. <laughs>
1: Great plan. Um. All right, so. Let's get into our our uh, action steps. We like to um, uh, provide very specific action steps if we can uh, that our listeners can take um, to support uh, support your mission uh, with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. So let's get into that. Uh, let's start with voice. Um, what can what are the big actionable uh, specific questions that we can all be um, asking of our representatives that would uh, that would help support you, your missions? Ladies,
0: like sure. literally, so, what should they yeah. say?
2: Okay, so obviously, the there's federal funding agencies for scientific research, um, primarily the um, NIH mm-hmm. for health and the NSF, and advocating for increasing the budget for both of those organizations makes a really big impact um, on what we're able to do. Right now, at the National Cancer Institute, which allots grants um, to researchers at academic institutions, the funding line is, I think, at 8% of submitted grants are accepted for funding. so we're missing out. and 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 you know, it's an even smaller percentage that's allotted to childhood cancer, but we're just, we're sure. missing out on a lot of great science because of that. And it's really, it's a budgetary constraint.
0: I was going to say, so yeah, what is, is it just purely a funding constraint uh, that knocks out 92% of, of requests? Is it, or is it a low quality it is, of entry or?
2: It, no, it's, it, no, it's there's a lot of great science that is being missed out on and it. it's just the budget is, it is what it is. And so it's getting more and more competitive now to I, get funding. And that's why, sorry, the foundations like Alex's Lemonade Stand have, made a huge impact on what I'm able to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the grants that they give for young investigators um, really propel them uh, to be able to do the kind of uh, creative translational research. And then they have an A award that uh, propels you from a postdoctoral position to faculty as assistant professor. And so they're really trying to build the next generation of cancer researchers.
0: I wish there was a way to almost make some publicly available slash searchable list. Almost like, I mean, I hate to use this as an example because it can go wrong so easily, but a Reddit almost upvoting system of like all the projects and research that don't get funded. uh, That, like you said, so much good, good, good science is not happening to, to put those out there. So people see like, Hey, this is why you need to get your representatives to vote for more funding. Cause these are quite literally these specific things that are not happening because of, because of that. Exactly. Brian, can you put that on your list?
1: Absolutely. Uh, wh- and I I want to go to dollar too. What can we, what can everybody do uh, to support you with our our money?
0: If only there was like a foundation Some sort of. that you guys haven't <laughs> mentioned where people could send their money to the I have a feeling that there is. So if we just talk like about it for once, <laughs> I don't
2: know. Sure. So jackie do you want to take this
3: yeah so bam alex's lemonade stand foundation bam
0: bam what's the url for alex's lemonade stand foundation alex's beautiful uh this is the moment where i'm gonna pimp uh la loves alex's lemonade stand foundation have either of you come to that event yet Incredible. yes it's
2: amazing yes it was
0: great are you coming this year
2: I don't think so. And I'm disappointed. I am
0: not. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Wait, why no, why busy. Not? What,
2: what else you got going on? Yeah, I know, <laughs> it
0: but time. it's a fun time.
2: It is. I would fun love time.
0: to. <laughs> um, it is fantastic. Um, it. Uh, uh, it is one of our favorite things. Brian, when L- did I indoctrinate year, I believe, you into this? Yeah. Last year or two years ago? It's just. It's. It is. It is such a impactful, moving event. Um, for everyone, it is. What is it, Brian? September 14th this year. Is that right? September fourteenth, Los Angeles. It's at UCLA. Uh, regular tickets are like a hundred bucks or something like that. You get you get unlimited food handed to you by like a hundred of the greatest chefs in America slash the world. There's like twenty incredible mixologists. There's a wine area, um, and then there's also uh, Jay and Liz and and their their children. Their son's up there talking and other. Very small cancer patients and survivors up there talking, and you're drunk and crying and just throwing money at this incredible organization <laughs> uh, and it's sunny and it's beautiful, and everyone is having just the greatest uh time for such an incredible event and i can't uh I can't recommend it enough so if you've never come, please. Check it out. Uh, it's called LA Loves Alex's Lemonade Stand. The past few years, they've raised a million dollars on the day each day for efforts like this to fund CCDL and other research. And um, they also support travel funds for families uh, that that can't afford it because um, it is an unexpected life expense and it's really fucking expensive and the whole family's affected. And someone's got to help out with that and they do. Um, so yeah, check. please please check it out. It's, it's pretty fantastic.
1: We'll be there. Important, not important. We will we'll definitely
0: be there. be there. Yeah. Well, de- and we we will. If you come, we will find you. Not in like a like not like a bad <laughs> way, but in like an exciting. <laughs> we'll take a, a no. picture together. Way.
2: It sounded ominous. Yeah.
0: No. No. No.
1: We just want to eat food with you and drink drinks with you and cry with you. That's all. And
0: thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. A lot of crying. A lot of crying.
1: Brian, take us home, ladies. Seriously, thank you so much for being here. This has been so fantastic. Um, and and I can't wait to see what else comes out of the ccdo as it as it grows can't believe it's only did you say a year or not even a year yet
3: august 1st, 2017, yeah. i believe wow. yeah what year is it
0: wow.
1: now? i don't even
3: it's oh my oh, god so it's, it's almost question. 2 years old we're going to have it's a birthday it's almost 2 years old yeah pretty, we're going to have pretty pretty a birthday
1: fantastic. party um, <laughs> um there will be a time when we uh, email you after this uh, conversation to say, hey, who else should we talk to? Do you know anybody else that uh, is trying to change the world and uh, solve kids' cancer or uh, cure... Uh, uh, anything. I mean, anything. Just all of the things.
2: Yeah, uh, people so who inspire people you. That,
1: yeah, yeah. If there are people that come to mind, um, please pass them along. It's how we get some of our absolute best guests on the on the show. Um, and now it's time for our Not Lightning Round.
0: Not a Lightning Round. It's just a couple more emotional questions. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then we'll uh, we'll let you guys get out of here. Um, uh, to to both of you, to each of you, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful?
3: Yeah, so I think it went back to what year did was the Young Investigators Summit in LA, Genevieve? Do you remember? Oh 2000- gosh. I think it was Six, seven- sixteen or seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah, just like meeting all of these. Investigators who are about the same career stage as me because I was a postdoc at the University of Pennsylvania at the time, uh, and just meeting all these childhood cancer researchers um, and like their passion for their research was just like infectious. Um, and like understanding that this initiative was getting underway and being part of this exciting science, helping these folks like do what they're so passionate about and what. Uh, really answer really important questions. Um, yeah, that, that, why I summit, and that's where I met Genevieve for the record too, uh, oh, cool. was yeah. um, really wonderful. I think it was such a great introduction um, to the foundation and is why I'm here uh, just working with these scientists who are so talented, so passionate. And I was like, Oh, I can help them. I can be part of this. So
2: awesome. I'm trying to think of a specific instance. Um, like I said, my biology teacher was really influential on me in high school, and I was always gravitated towards in- incredibly challenging problems like childhood cancer because I feel like I can make a big impact in the area. And I think this manifested early because this is really random, but in in our senior year in high school, we had to give each other awards, and this person I barely knew gave me an award that she had self named that I was the most de- de- most determined person. And wow, uh, oh. And so, uh, I I think it's true. I'm very determined, and so I, I think I just have been manifesting that for a while unintentionally. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, I am very focused, um, and. You know, I do think I can make a big impact by staying the course.
1: That's awesome. Since we're, since we're talking about it, my senior mm-hmm. awards were most hair color changes and craziest. <laughs> wow.
0: Oh, thank you, Brian. That's so <laughs> helpful. Um, well,
1: we were on the topic.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, people whose name starts with doctor. Let's limit this one to that. Um, oh, got it. Who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months?
2: Oh, that's easy for me. My postdoctoral mentor is uh, James Amatruda. And I highly recommend you speak with him um, as well. And so he's the most intelligent, kind person that you'll ever meet. And he's been just completely instrumental in letting me have freedom of thought and be independent. And now I'll be starting uh, my own lab in the next six months. So he he's an incredibly inspiring person. Awesome. You awesome.
3: should absolutely talk to him. He's great. It was so rad having him for training. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So I would say the director of the CCDL is Dr. Casey Green. And I was a postdoc of his before I got started here at the CCDL full-time. And... Yeah, his vision for the lab and and kind of shaping it and uh kind of assembling this team of designers and, and developers and scientists. It's been incredible to watch and to be a part of. I love it. Awesome.
1: Um ladies, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? When it's all too much and you need to chill and relax?
2: Sure. So I recently joined this women's only gym and I do like fitness classes there. I had one this morning actually. And so um, that's a good way, you know, to burn off some energy really. Oh yeah. What's your, Um,
1: what's
0: your class of choice? Is it like Zumba, Pilates? Like what are we talking about?
2: No, it's called, um, it's actually designed for athletes. We do like rowing, um, run wind sprints, um, a lot of lifting. And so, you know, I do the whole spectrum. And cool. so that's, yeah, it's been fun. You know, you have to challenge different parts of your brain. And so the other thing I do is take naps sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah. I um, love a nap. Nice.
2: Nice cool. nap. <laughs> um, I love to go outside and hike too.
0: I love that. I've been trying to get uh, Brian to do what's the word, Brian? Car- cardio? Cardio? <laughs>
1: No, um, get out of here. It's new
0: to him, um, but we're working on it. We're working on
1: it. He tries to get me to do these Spartan races where you're, I don't know, running for days and like you're in mud and you're climbing walls. Let me let me run on the treadmill. Okay. Baby this steps. is
3: consistent with J- Jay's kind of comments about Quinn. and. Oh, <laughs> I did. Yeah, see?
0: That's unfortunate. I did not know with it. He told you. Uh-huh. Um, I've got some fun plans for him for this year. It's going to be great.
3: Uh, great. I, I won't tell. Yeah, please. Um, so yeah. I think my answer to that question uh, proves why Genevieve was most determined. And I was not <laughs> uh, as a senior in in high school. But yeah, I have been uh, very much enjoying Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, it's so right. good. Yeah. That's been really, uh, you know, past couple months. It's been great to kind of escape to that. Can uh, you but, yeah. can
1: you do that in VR yet? Is that a thing?
3: I have no idea.
1: I just want to be in that world.
3: It's beautiful. It's Horse.
1: It, yeah. You know. S- so
0: my buddy, a uh, friend of the pod, Seth, his, uh, one of his good friends voices the main character. and Oh my uh, goodness. And has said he, he basically can't go out in public because no. the wow. game is, the game, I mean, you know, so many people played that game and not just played the game. We're not talking about Mario Brothers. They've spent Hundreds of hours over their yeah, life with this It's so game. many hours. And so the second so he opens his mouth, people are like, "Holy shit!"
2: Like, Whoa. He's, yeah, I mean,
0: <laughs>
1: blows movie feel, stars out of the water.
2: I feel so ignorant because I did just have to Google what that was, so I'm a little embarrassed by that.
1: No, it's okay.
2: <laughs> it's okay.
1: It's okay.
0: It's okay. It's it's pretty fantastic though. But yeah, it's. I was just like, God, that's such a weird thing.
1: Anyways, great game. Wow, um, such a good game. Okay, Brian. Great game. Uh, here we go. If you could each answer this question for me, please. If you could Amazon Prime one book to current president of America, Donald Trump, what would that book be?
0: Mm -hmm. We've had everything.
2: Nonviolent communication is what popped into my head. (laughs) i was going to go with Alex and the Amazing Lemonade Stand just to show how one person can make a positive change on this world.
0: That's awesome. Both of those are fantastic. Um, we've had everything from the Constitution to coloring books. Just because. <laughs> um, Every, everything. Awesome. Well, listen, uh, this has been long enough. Uh, there's all kinds of cancer that hasn't been cured since we've taken an hour plus of your time. Uh, so we're going to let you guys get back to it. But we cannot thank you enough uh, for your time today and for everything you're doing with each other uh, in your own endeavors and, and what's to come. Because I know you're, you're just getting started. No pressure. So thank you, and uh, I hope to see you at a, an Alex's event uh, this year, next year, somewhere. And when you get that lab started, put in a couch, because Brian will come sleep on it. And
1: I'll, <laughs> I'll do the,
0: the sign-spinning thing. We'll do the yeah, sign-spinning thing. You're for welcome. Time. You're yeah, welcome
2: sure. to come join.
0: <laughs> um, it'll be great. He'll do any job. Um, thank you guys so much. We really so appreciate much. it. And uh, we'll, we'll check in down the line and see how everything's going.
3: Thank you. Thank it's you. Was Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species.
1: And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. (sighs) just so weird.